is our third consecutive summer where we're preaching through the Psalms. There's a new Psalm every week. The Psalms are the songbook of the church. The Psalms are the counseling guidebook of the church. The Psalms cover the full range of human emotion from anger to joy to frustration to gladness to gratitude to praise. And now we focus our attention on Psalm chapter 7. Would you give attention to God's Word? If you're willing and able, let's stand together as I read. Psalm chapter 7, 1, down through the end at verse 17. O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake from me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. The grass withers and the flowers fade, friends, but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated, please. It's good for me to be back in the Psalms. Lauren and I were just on uh, a little getaway while our kids were at summer camp down in South Texas. And coming back to preach on the Psalms is refreshing to me because the Psalter is the most human of all books. And it's the most human of all books in a different way than the Iliad or the Upanishads or the Pickwick Papers are human. I mean, those books and many books talk about the full range of human emotion. But the Psalms are human in that the humanism of the Psalms is rooted in the incarnation. The incarnation of Jesus Christ who took on flesh and lived among us. And therefore, the primary voice of the Psalter, the Psalms, is not primarily David's. It is first Christ's. And as you read the Psalms, we read them on one level in their historical context. In this case, as I'll explain in a little bit, David on the run. But at a deeper level, and perhaps a more personal and a more prayerful level, these also were the words of Christ. 
Like Christ prayed the Psalter on the cross. And we get all the way to Psalm 31 before we lose track of where he was. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Psalm 31. And then we don't know how long he lived after that moment. But friends, this is the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are his. And it is so important to remember that and to know that and to trust that and to treasure that. And perhaps there's no greater way and time and place to go to the Psalter to make it your own prayer book, then when your own name is slandered, when your reputation is tarnished, and when you are accused. This psalm, Psalm 7, is perhaps the greatest psalm in the Psalter to deal with those who have received unfair accusation, who have had their name slandered, who have had their reputation lost at the hands, in this case, of wicked men. So we're going to look very briefly before we take the Lord's Supper today. What do you do when your reputation is slandered, when your name is driven through the mud on social media, when you are accused of something perhaps that you did not do? What should you do? You ever wondered what you should do? Has your name ever been slandered? Well, let's see what David suggests in this psalm. This is the song of the slandered. How do we do with gossip and slander and the loss of reputation? Here it is. I'm going to give you several ways. Number one, if you're a note taker, notice on your sermon outline. Number one, you run for cover. Look at verses one and two. David runs for cover. He doesn't say, I will take refuge in God. But rather he says, in you do I take refuge. David has already taken refuge in God. Now, we don't know exactly what the historical context is for this psalm. This is one of 14 psalms in the Psalter that talks about a very specific point in David's life. We don't know exactly what happened. But we presume, based upon the title given to this psalm, that David was falsely accused before King Saul by Cush, a man we do not know anything about, who is a Benjamite. He was falsely accused before King Saul. Hey, David has done this. And Saul wants to hunt him down. And David prays the psalm after having his name driven through the mud before the king. And he runs for cover. It's probable, it's probable that Jesus may have even had this psalm on his mind whenever he stood before Pilate. Because what does it say in the Gospels? It says he did not open his mouth, did it, doesn't it? But then he says, I take refuge in you, O Lord. He didn't need to open his mouth because Christ immediately took refuge in his Father. Where shall I go from your spirit? Psalm 139. Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall not cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is bright as day for darkness is as light to you. Listen, Christ our Lord prayed the psalm, perhaps even before Pilate. He didn't have a need to open his mouth. Let me ask you a question, therefore. Where do you run for refuge? 
Where do you run for cover? When you're falsely accused of something, when somebody gives a false impression of you on social media, where immediately do you run? Some of us run immediately to retort back. We want to defend ourselves. Some of us immediately run to addictions. Some of us run to sex. Some of us go drink too much. Some of us just immerse ourselves with our phones to escape the pain. Some of us sleep it off. Some of us exercise. Some, listen, where do you run for escape? Some of us work too much. Some of us compartmentalize our life and run away. Where do you go? Where? That's what verses 1 and 2 calls us to ask. David immediately runs for cover to the one true God. And Jesus, when he is falsely accused, runs to cover to his Father in heaven. Where do you go, O Christian? Oh, those who are seeking, where do you run for cover? There's an author named Erasmo Leiva Maracacus who writes a book called The Disordered Loves, and he says all of us run for cover in certain places. In fact, sin is running for cover in something other than Christ. And the entirety of our life is the reordering of our loves and affections to reset them upon the beauty of Christ. So, Trinity, where is it that you run? Hmm? Take that place that you run and even bring that place to the front of your mind and confess it before the Father and say, oh, Lord, Jesus, I want you to be the default place that I run for cover immediately when I find myself slandered and accused. It's the first thing that we read. The second thing we read is in verse 3 to 5. You don't only run for cover, which you do by default, but listen to what he says. Oh, Lord, my God, if I have done this, if... If there is any wrong in my hands, if, if I have repaid my friends with evil, if, or plundered my enemy without cause. David here is honestly assessing his situation. And we too need to honestly evaluate our part in any situation where we're slandered. I mean, this just makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, we are tempted when we're slandered to immediately revolt and to defend ourselves or to tweet back or to reply. But it is a grace. It is a grace to receive criticism even if it's not constructive. It is a grace. Because as Christians, it shouldn't threaten you. Brothers and sisters, the high king of heaven, my victory won, sings over you. He thinks you're magnificent. And you're worried about what the kid down the street thinks of you? You're worried about what the person at work thinks of you? I mean, when we're thinking in our right minds, it's illogical to be so torn apart by the reputation that somebody else is trying to cast upon us. We have a grift in the criticism from wherever it comes to honestly assess our part in any given situation. Tim Keller has a great passage that, uh, I don't know if it's in one of his books, but he, he gave this to one of, uh, to, in a Presbyterian meeting up in New York many years ago, and I, it's great insight on how to handle criticism, and I just want to read it for you. When you are criticized, when we are attacked, when we face criticism from other people, here's what Keller says. First, you should look to see if there is a kernel, even a kernel of truth, in the most exaggerated and unfair broadsides. 
So even if the censure is partly or even largely mistaken, you look for what may indeed, you may have deed and done, done wrong. And perhaps you simply acted or spoke in a way that was not circumspect. Maybe the critically is partly right for the wrong reasons. Nevertheless, identify your shortcomings. Repent in your own heart before the Lord for what you can and let that humble you. Then it will be possible to learn from the criticism and stay gracious to the critic, even if you have to disagree with what he or she has said. If the criticism comes from someone who doesn't know you at all, and often that's the case on the internet, it's possible that the criticism is completely unwarranted and profoundly mistaken. Even if you're pilloried, not only for views that you do have, but also even for the views that you don't have. When that happens, it is even easier to fall into smugness and perhaps to be tempted to laugh at how mistaken your critics are. Do you hear me? Please listen. Pathetic, you may be tempted to say, but don't do it. Even if there is not the slightest kernel of truth in what the critic says, you should not mock them in your thoughts. First, you remind yourself of examples of your own mistakes, foolishness, and cluelessness in the past, times in which you really got something wrong. And secondly, you pray for the critic that he or she grows in grace. It's pretty good advice, isn't it? And it comes straight from Psalm chapter 7. Oh, Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy with cause, let my enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. Let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Honestly evaluate your part in this situation. When Jesus prayed this, he obviously wasn't culpable or guilty of any sin, was he? But he prayed this for you and for me. Oh, Lord, because they've done wrong, let it come upon me. So that when they're slandered and when they're accused, they will have the strength by the grace of the gospel to be able to honestly assess criticism and to grow in repentance and grace in their life. Let that be true of us, friends. Please pray that that becomes true of me. That we can so graciously receive criticism that we can understand if there's even a kernel of truth from which we can learn, we have the courage to learn from it and then to pray for those who accuse us. Criticism, even the worst kind of criticism, doesn't carry with it the piercing blows of the arrows that you think if you allow it to be absorbed in the gospel. You run for cover. You honestly evaluate your part in any given situation, verses 3 to 5. And then you pray God's promises. Immediately after he evaluates whether he's culpable or not, David prays the promises of God. You know, David knew the promises of God. He knew back in Deuteronomy 32, for example, the Lord said, vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. And God says, okay, Deuteronomy 32, you made that promise, Lord. Let it come true. 
Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake from me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord is the judge of the peoples. He goes on and on. He's praying the promises of God throughout the entirety of the Old Testament Torah. Father, would you be true to your word? How many of you pray like that? How many of you say, oh Lord, thank you that here we have no lasting city, but that we seek a city to come. Lord, thank you that you are forgiving and good, boundless in love to all who call to you. Hear my cry. Listen to my plea for mercy. In the day of trouble, I will cry to you, and you will answer me. So hear my cry, my prayer. Lord, you tell us that the wicked pursue, though no one pursues them. The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as lions. Lord, help me to be bold. Sometimes we struggle as God's people to know how to pray, and oftentimes the best way to learn to pray is to pray God's promises back to Him, which is why this afternoon on your Trinity app, you'll find a link there where I've given you a ton of Trinity verses, we'll call them, that are just the promises of God. You could spend every week for the next three years just taking one of those verses and memorizing them to sink them into your heart so that whenever you're ridiculed and whenever you're slandered, you can immediately be able to say, Lord, what does the Lord your God ask of me but to love you, to serve you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to keep the commands and decrees you've given me today for my own good, as Deuteronomy says. Lord, help that to be true in my life because it's hard. You pray the promises of God. They should drip from our lips, friends. When Jesus prayed this psalm, you can imagine him saying it before the Pharisees. Jesus says, judge me according to my righteousness, according to the integrity that is in me. He's the only one who could pray the psalm and actually pray it with the utmost integrity because it was true of him. When we pray the psalm, we say, oh Lord, please judge me according to the integrity that is Christ's. I've hidden myself in him by faith. Thank you that I'm an adopted son and daughter of the king. Because of what Christ has done for me, he is the man of righteousness and he is the man of integrity. Next, you take refuge, you assess if you have any culpability and any criticism, no matter how outlandish it may be, you pray God's promises. And then fourth, <clears throat> you recognize in verses 12 and 13 that repentance moves you out of the crosshairs of God's judgment. This is the important principle of Psalm 7. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. Never have truer words been spoken. Repentance removes you out of the crosshairs of God's judgment. And so rather than to fire back at somebody who criticizes you, to be able to assess in your own heart and to be able to grow in repentance, it removes you out of the crosshairs of God's judgment. When Jesus prayed the psalm, it reminded him of the righteous judgment that he would bring upon the wicked. It caused him to endure suffering that is almost indescribable for you. And Jesus said, oh Lord, since he didn't need to repent, what did he say? I commit my spirit into your care. Vindicate me, oh my Lord, for never has there been one who's received such fierce punishment 
that is so far outside the bounds of what is proper than Christ himself. And he absorbed that blow. Repentance moves you out of the crosshairs of God's judgment. Now, let me say just a quick word to those who feel slandered and attacked. Take Psalm 7 and use it as balm for your soul and make it your prayer. Kids, teenagers, listen to me. When you feel like somebody's criticizing you, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever, you feel like you're being unfairly pilloried, made fun of by your friends, run to cover in Christ, please. You're going to run for cover somewhere, aren't you? And you need to know, there's an old sermon that was written in the 16th century by, by the 18th century, by Richard Sibbs. It's called The Saints, Safety, and Evil Times. And he said that even the best of God's saints are liable to be subjects to slander for their own good. Why? And he gives several reasons. He says, we endure the plots of wicked men. Number one, because it shows us that people escape into violence to earn their salvation because this world is all they have. But it's not all you have. They're used as an illustration of those who have nothing else to cling to but to bring other people down. Secondly, that God would not have you love the world so much and therefore he allows you to suffer the world to hate you at times to remind you that he is your refuge. Thirdly, that you're strangers here, that you shouldn't be surprised to find conflict from those who think that they are here at home forever. Though the fig tree withers and there be no fruit on the vine. This is my wedding verse, by the way. And the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food and the sheep are cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. Yet will I rejoice. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Even if our children... Don't turn out the way we expect them to turn out, even if we lose our job, even if we go broke, even if we have to rely on the help of others, even if the lives we thought we would lead when we were 40, 50, 60, 70 are far from the lives we actually have. Oh, Lord, would you be the joy of my life and my salvation? In Hebrews, they pray. Recall the former days after you were enlightened when you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to ill treatment and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Oh, saints who live in the midst of safety and evil times, you sometimes experience slander because it's God's way of reminding you that you're not yet here at home. Of course it's not fun, but it's a good, another opportunity for you to see if what you say with your mouth is true of what you believe in your heart. You run for cover. You honestly evaluate your own situation to see if there's even a kernel of truth in the criticism. You pray God's promises. You grow in repentance for it takes you out of the crosshairs of God's judgment. And now listen, those of us who think it's fun or we get, I don't know what, you know, you get courage from attacking other people, please hear me. In every example in the Bible of those who attacked 
other people, where there is an elongated story of their life. Haman before Mordecai. David before Ahithophel. You always see the same pattern, and it's the pattern of Psalm chapter 7. The pattern is that the person who attacked another person becomes disappointed because it didn't work. And then that person falls into danger. And in fact, they were the masterminds of the very danger that they themselves fell into. And they fall into the danger of the danger they plotted for another person. And then lastly, the icing on the cake is they end up being a means of good for the one they intended to harm, Joseph and his brothers, Haman before Mordecai. Listen, you can go on and on with Old Testament examples of this. So if you find that it's, um, that you're in the midst of diminishing someone's reputation, that you're gossiping about somebody else, please, I beg of you to stop and to repent and to see that you're in the crosshairs of God's judgment. And with the same sense of ferocious anger you have toward them, the Lord will have toward you. The attackers are always the ones who are attacked. And we can all think of examples where that seems to break down in this life, isn't it? Especially for people who've been attacked in horrible ways, and it seems like they got off scot-free. Do you not know that vengeance is the Lord's? And that recompense is his. And even in the darkest of our fiercest attacks, the Christian gospel holds out hope that one day, someday when Christ returns to make everything new, judgment will be upon the land. And the only reason we can lay down our arms of aggression against others when we want to fight for justice is because we believe that Christ carries a much greater arsenal. And he will vindicate his great name. He will do it, friends. And therefore, there will come a day when it's not just in the middle of a desert in Egypt when people are going on a tour to see monks at St. Simeon. But it will be even in Oklahoma where people are stopped at a bus depot and taken outside the bus and they're killed for their faith. We pray that it never happens. And we're going to celebrate in two days the fantastic freedom we have in this country the freedom of being able to have free speech and to celebrate as Christians. That's a wonderful gift. But if that gift is ever taken from us, it doesn't for one second change your identity as a Christian. Do you know that? There's a far deeper identity that you have than the nationality in which you were born or which you were given. It is that your identity is rooted in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Friends, when you are pilloried, when you are insulted, when you are dragged through the mud, would you find refuge in Christ? Would you honestly assess if there is even a kernel of truth on what has been said about you? Would you pray the promises of God? Would you grow in repentance to make you both humbler and bolder in your faith? And would you trust that it is the Lord who will bring judgment upon those attackers? And then notice, notice how the psalm ends. Look at verse 17. I will give to the Lord the bitterness in my heart. That's not what it says. I will give to the Lord the thanks 
due to his righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. The Canaanites called their Lord the Most High. And here is David saying, no, the Most High Lord is the one true God. And here is Christ himself on the cross saying, I will give thanks to the Lord Most High, who even amidst his crucifixion was able to say, he will vindicate me. Oh, Lord, come and do not delay. That is our cry as Christians. That is our hope. That is our anthem. To run to refuge in Christ, for his arms are open wide to you. To have the courage to honestly assess if you have any culpability or there's even a kernel of truth in that criticism. To pray God's promises. To walk in repentance and faith. And to let that give birth to gratitude and to joy because he is the Lord Most High. There is a part in the Westminster uh, Catechism that says, how does God execute his office of a king? And the answer is that Christ executes the office of a king by subduing us to himself, by winning us to himself, and ruling and in defending us, and in restraining and conquering all of his and all of our enemies. Amen? He will do that. Psalm 7 is the song for the slandered. Run to your Savior, the King. Be thou my shield and hiding place, that shelter near my side. I may fierce accuser face and tell him, thou hast died. Because Christ died for me to give us the courage when we're slandered to be able to hold the gospel and to run to it again, to find Christ to be your refuge, to become both humbler and bolder in the face of accusation, and to grow in gratitude and thanksgiving, for he is the Lord most high for you. Amen.